As we come now before God's Word, you can turn in your Bibles to Mark in chapter 14. That's Mark chapter 14. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Our Lord, now as we hear your word, help us to believe. By your spirit, would you plant these truths deep in our hearts? Would you nourish us by your word? Because we know it's true that We do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Would you walk with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Mark in chapter 14. We'll begin in verse 16. A part of this we heard last week, but this will will help us, I think, to hear part of that again. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he, Jesus, had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is God's word. If you were here with us last week, you'll remember that in the previous section here, we talked about the plan of God and how it's unfolding specifically in these last hours of Jesus' life on earth. And we looked at the radical contrast between the devotion of the woman who poured the perfume over Jesus' head, contrasted to the betrayal of Jesus at the hands of Judas. And Jesus had said here at the table, one of you will betray me. That's pretty shocking to say really at any time, but especially shocking at this Passover meal with these disciples who had been with him for so long. But this is not the only shocking word that happened that night. 
Because what they're taking here, this meal is not just a normal meal, it's a Passover meal. Uh, Passover is a holiday that they celebrated once a year, and so there were all these uh, things that sort of went with Passover. There was lots of ritual, uh, they would uh, recite certain words, there were multiple cups that they would take at certain times, and so uh, they'd done this for a very long time. And so the disciples know how this Passover meal is supposed to go. And for a while, it does go like that. You can see that at the beginning of the, of the meal in verse 22. He, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And all of that is very normal, the sort of thing you would expect at a Passover meal. And then Jesus says, this is my body. And he gives him the cup and says, this is my blood. I don't think I have to tell you that that was not normal. That was not something that was typically recited at a Passover meal. So when I look at that and Jesus has now changed something in this meal, this is my body, this is my blood, we have to ask ourselves, what on earth does he mean? Um, he says here at the end of this section that his blood will be poured out and that he'll drink it anew in the kingdom. So you get the sense that he's at least talking in some sense about his death and resurrection. But it's more than that. So we're now looking at why does Jesus talk about his death and resurrection in this way? And to answer that, we have to look at what's going on with Passover. So stick your finger in, in here at Mark 14 and flip all the way back to the Old Testament. I have a little marker in my Bible so I don't lose it. Um, but this is in Exodus uh, chapter 12. You probably remember, uh, uh, some of you may, what's happening here, but just a brief recap. Israel, the people of God, had been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. Uh, which is quite a long time to be enslaved. And the Lord heard their cries and sent Moses to bring them out. And the means by which he does that is to, uh, to go to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says no, and so he brings upon them a series of, of plagues. And the most recent one, the ninth one, was a darkness. Uh, Exodus says it's a darkness that could be felt, the eeriest kind of darkness. But then the last plague that was coming would be the one that would bring them out. And this is the one in which the Lord is going to take the lives of the firstborn in the land. Now, this is for this entire land. And the Hebrews, just because they are Jews, just because they are God's people, are not exempt from this. The lives of their firstborn will be taken too unless they do something. And that's what happens at Passover. Exodus 12, the Lord tells Moses to tell the people to do something. So Exodus chapter 12, verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and he said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that's in the basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts 
with the blood that's in the basin, none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. There have been lots of movies made about this, and I, I never quite feel like they get it right. Even my imagination can't quite fathom all of this, but, but let's give it a shot. All right? We'll try to imagine what this night would have been like. Moses gathers the leaders and tells them that this is about to happen. They, we can't read the whole thing just for time's sake. There's unleavened bread and other pieces, but he says, take this, kill the lamb, put the blood on the doorposts. And Can you imagine what that day might have felt like? You'd hear a lot more lambs bleeding than normal. You imagine, you know, this is me kind of reading in, but, you know, uh, the, that there's to wipe this hyssop branch, which just, you know, has enough to sort of get on it, and then wipe it on the sides of their doorpost and then across the top. And you can kind of imagine neighbors going, hey, are you done with your, your hyssop? You know, we have to dip it in ours. And, you know, and, and they're getting ready. And as night falls, they're to eat this meal of the lamb together. And I wonder then what that night felt like. Because they were told by God to stay in that home and remain under the blood of that lamb. And if you do, you'll be saved. I wonder what that felt like to stay up that night. Exodus says that it happened at midnight that the Lord comes then with this one called the destroyer. I wonder what that sounded like. Could they hear as the Lord and the destroyer went from home to home and took the lives of the firstborn? Could they hear the cry beginning to increase? And then what I wonder is, did they know when the Lord and the destroyer came to their home what that might have felt like to sit in the dark of night under the blood that you've put on your doorpost and feel the presence of the Lord with the destroyer outside of your door? I think I'd be a little nervous. Have you ever... Uh, when you go to the store, if you're the kind of person that uses a card, either a debit card or a credit card to pay for things, I know people sometimes still pay with cash. Quaint, I know. But if you ever pay with a card, do you ever have that feeling as you swipe it and it says pending? You know, where you go, this, this is going to work, right? Because that would be really embarrassing if it doesn't. Do you ever have that feeling in just a moment where I've swiped it and, you know, is, this, is, is the card actually going to work? I wonder if they felt that as they sat inside under the blood and thought, is this blood actually going to work? And then the Lord passes over them and spares their lives. Passover then, for the Hebrews and for the Egyptians, was a night both of judgment on the land, but also a night of mercy for those who were under the blood of the Lamb, that they were brought by this means out of the land of Egypt, out of their bondage and slavery into the promised land. And so they were told then to remember what the Lord had done. Here's the rest of the piece in Exodus 12, starting in verse uh, 24. 
the Lord commands them this, you shall observe this rite as a statute or a command for you and your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So after this first Passover, they were supposed to do it every year, not just as a ritual or just a regular holiday, but as a visual reminder of what God had done. It's sort of like kids' books. You know, I used to read big, important books, and now I read books that have six pages that are made of cardboard. But, I, you know, I love some of these kids' books, and they have pictures. And boy, does that not make, you know, the reading easier. But that's what this is in some way. It's not just words. It's a visual picture because reading Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs isn't the same unless you have the pictures to see it. So they were seeing what the Lord had done in bringing them out and creating a new beginning. In fact, at the beginning of this chapter in Exodus, the Lord says, I want you to set this as the first month now. He resets the calendar and says, when you celebrate this, this is going to be the beginning of your year. It's a new year in that sense. So now, let's flip back to Mark. Now Jesus with his disciples, is celebrating this regular Passover where year after year after year after year, the people are reminded of who God is both in his judgment and in his mercy. And as they're going through all these things that they're very familiar with, Jesus, in breaking the tradition of the Passover, then starts to equate the elements of Passover with himself that he becomes the elements of this Passover meal. This is my body. This is my blood. And of course here he does not mean that he's, that's literally his body. His body is sitting in front of them. This is a symbolic piece, sort of like when he says, I'm the door. I'm the vine. He doesn't literally mean he's a door. He's using that as symbolic language to point us to a greater reality. Jesus is really saying here that the blood that Israel once painted on their doorposts under which they found shelter is now my blood poured out. Jesus is saying, I am the new substitute. I am the new sacrifice. I am the new seal of the covenant. And so when it comes time to swipe the card, don't worry, because his blood works. And when the destroyer comes and demands payment as a sacrifice for sin, that payment is already paid in the blood of Jesus, the Passover lamb who is eternal. But wait, there's more. How's that for a nice little uh, pitch there? But wait, there's more. So part of this is saying, 
Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And I think many of us know that. I at least understand that in my mind. There's more than going on than just this in this Passover supper. There's a running joke in our house um, when, that when storms come, I love storms. They, you know, they smell interesting. And you know, as long as they're not too bad, if it's nice, a gentle storm, that's the best one. And, and uh, whenever they come in, I like to be home. It's cozy. And, and I say, we got to hunker. And so Laura teases me about this a lot, that a storm coming, got to hunker down, you know, and so, oh, it's time to hunker. That's the running joke in our house. There's some truth here in that, that in some sense, we hunker in Jesus. We hunker down. We find a cozy spot from the storm in his blood. But there's more than just that, because you remember in Exodus, when they went into their homes under the blood of the doorpost, For that night they hunkered as the destroyer passed over them, as the Lord's judgment passed over them. But that wasn't the end of the story. The point was the anticipation of what comes after that. That they were coming out of bondage in Egypt and into the promised land. Jesus is now saying essentially a very similar thing here as he's creating a new exodus. Jesus says, I'll bring you out of the bondage of sin, of wrath, and of death. And where's he taking us? He says at the end, verse 25, when he's talking about himself, he says, I'll I'll drink this fruit new in the kingdom of God. In Matthew's gospel, uh, it's a little expanded. Jesus says a little more, but he says, "I'll, I'll drink this fruit new with you in the kingdom of God. It's not just that we hunker or hide or kind of bear down in Jesus. That's a part of it. But there's also an anticipation of a new table. This is in several places in Scripture, but one particularly lovely one is in Isaiah chapter 25, where he talks about the new coming table. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 6, Isaiah says this or the Lord says this through Isaiah, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he'll swallow up on this mountain the covering that's cast over all peoples, the veil that's spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. In some sense, this event that we call the Last Supper, because it was literally the Last Supper that Jesus ate on the night before he died, in another sense, it's also a First Supper, at least a foretaste of a supper, a a taste of the supper that will taste new in the kingdom of God. Now, how then... Does Jesus accomplish this? 
how does Jesus bring us into the kingdom of God? And we see a window into that in part in what's happening here, what we call communion. Uh, this event, we call it by a bunch of different names. You know, so it's, they're all synonyms of one another. Sometimes we call it the Last Supper. Uh, sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper. Uh, some groups call it the Eucharist, which comes from the Greek word that Jesus says here in verse 22, where he gave thanks. So the Eucharist means a giving thanks. And another word that we use often to describe this is the word communion. Heard this, yeah? We take communion together. That word itself doesn't appear in this text, but the idea at least is there. And if we expand the word communion to a broader sense, communion really means a common union. That we have common union with Jesus. In other words, in this Last Supper, in communion, the Lord unites himself to us. Let me show you what I mean by that. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just a few verses here. He talks more extensively about the Lord's Supper in um, chapter 11, but he says a little bit about it in, in 10. And starting in verse 16, Paul says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. This word here that's translated in my Bible, participation, sometimes is translated, there's a, 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 a sharing in the blood of, blood of Christ. The King James says there's a communion in the blood of Christ. Sometimes it's translated a fellowship, but the meaning of this is that the cup that we share, the bread that we share, points to and even is our union or our oneness with Jesus that's accomplished by faith. We're experiencing, tasting, seeing oneness with Christ. And if that's true, if we're really united to Jesus, that has some pretty big implications. If it's true that we're united to Christ, Jesus then leads us in holiness. Paul talks about that more in this text. I won't read it all, but he says in here, we don't want to unite ourselves then to that which is ungodly because we're united to Christ. Instead, we're to, we're to flee idolatry. We're to run from sin. We, we don't want to sit at the table of demons because we already sit at the table of Christ. And so he says, when you're faced with temptation, you look to God and your union with Christ and find strength then to hold up against that temptation. Our union with Christ impacts our holiness. There's one. This, a second implication is that if, it, if we're united with Christ... He leads us in, in love. We know that on some level we're called to love our neighbors, whether they're believers or not, but the scripture talks about a love that's especially true of others who are believers. That we're to love others who are also united with Christ because we're all kind of united together. We all, in the Passover 
uh, the, this Passover with Jesus, they shared one cup, literally. Here, Paul says, we share one bread. We're, we're one body. Which means, have you ever heard the phrase, um, she cut off her nose to spite her face? The, oh, the first time I heard that, it sounds like to spite her face. You know, people have said that before. Cut off her nose to spite her face, but to spite her face. Meaning, you know, it's kind of a silly expression that, oh, I was upset with that, so I cut off my nose, and ha ha, I got the nose. But, it, you know, it hurts her own face. You get the idea there that when I do damage to you, either out of revenge or anger or jealousy, I'm also doing damage to me, to all of us, to Jesus for that matter, because we're all one body. Our union with Christ impacts our love. And then finally here, if it's true that we're united with Christ, Christ leads us in victory. Because what's true of Jesus is true of us. You remember in the David and Goliath story in the Old Testament, you know, Goliath's standing there, you probably heard this as a kid, and, and he says, send somebody out. And so, you know, you know, eventually David comes out, and there's the, you know, huge Goliath and tiny little David. But the interplay between them is, is that the two of us are going to have a battle, and whatever happens here will happen to the other people. David, if you win, all the Philistines will serve you as, as, as Israel's servants. And, and Goliath, if I, Goliath, win, then all of Israel will serve us. There's a picture, then, of what's happening there. What's true of David is true of all of Israel in their union with him. That's also true with Jesus. Because we're united with Christ, which means that when his blood is poured out, you better believe we'll face trial too. But also, when Christ is raised victoriously, we are raised with him in the new kingdom. Our union with Christ impacts our victory. I think the disciples needed to hear this. In fact, we probably all need to hear this, but that they're, that they're united by faith uh, to Christ, but they need to hear this especially now because they have no idea what's coming for them in the next few hours. Tonight, at this time, a crowd will come and arrest Jesus in the middle of the night, and he'll be put on trial before the sun even comes up in the morning, and he'll be put on the cross by breakfast. And people will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. The disciples have no idea, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows, and so at this table he says, listen, ones that I love, I want you to see this. I want you to get this. I want you to remember this. I want you to plant this down deep in your guts. In Luke's gospel, he says, as you eat and drink this, do this in remembrance of me, that you stick it in your mind, anchor it there so that you can call it to mind when you most need it. But it's even more than just a remembrance. 
Because look at the image that he uses. Could have used anything to compare himself to. Jesus does not here set up a monument. Do this in remembrance of me. Nor does he set up, you know, some sort of uh, memorial statue or something, a, a painting. Do this in remembrance of me. No. What he gives them is a meal. Something to be tasted, to be feasted upon. That's a whole new level of oneness. Because there's some level of oneness in a contract, in an agreement. There's some level of oneness in a handshake. There's even some level of oneness in a hug. But he says, I want you to eat and drink. This is my body. This is my blood. I want you to ingest this so that you are one with me. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that today. I, <laughs> I need that every day. I, I, I need that more regularly than I need food. To hear, ah, yes, Jesus has made me one with him. And at his table, he presents to us Himself. You know, in, in some sense, he's present everywhere. That's true of him as, as, as God. Uh, but here, he's really spiritually and intimately present. And as we take the food and the drink of his body and blood, here he nurtures us. Here he strengthens us. Here he sustains us. Hmm. I have a favorite word in this account. It's just my favorite word, so take it for what it is, but I think it's at least worth seeing. The word comes in verse 22. And as they were eating, he, Jesus, took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take. Take. I love that word. It's just so simple. A simple call that Jesus says, take. Because he reminds me that this table is not something that I am giving to God. This table is something that he is giving to us. It's not my holiness. It's not my love. It's not my victory that I bring, but it's really his holiness, his victory, his love. You could go on forever. That his gift is now sitting in front of you. And Jesus holds out this gift of himself and simply says, Take. Would you pray with me? Hmm. Lord, thank you. Thank you for all that you have accomplished on our behalf, doing things that we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you for making us one with you by faith. And now as we feed again on your body and blood, would you strengthen your union with us until the day we drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.